I was just trying to survive. And it was like looking over and seeing her next to me also drowning and saying like, mommy, help me. And I couldn't help her. And that was really hard. Hi, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. And today I have episode 40, all about the way my relationship with my daughter and Kimball's big sister, Wendy, was affected by Kimball's arrival when Wendy was two and a half. Spoiler alert, we really, really struggled. And we still really struggle. This solo episode is all about that and it's raw, vulnerable glory. But surprise, it is a very different kind of solo episode than I usually release. This is actually an episode taken straight from the podcast, Child Life on Call, with host Katie Taylor. So this time, I'm on the other end of the mic and being interviewed by her about my experience with Wendy. It was so therapeutic to have this open conversation with her. If you haven't listened to it yet, go check out her podcast as soon as you finish this episode. A link for that is in the show notes. Her podcast is full of amazing conversations with other parents of children with illnesses and medical issues. She's a very talented interviewer, and I love her. Guys, I love this episode, and I hope you do too. It's about time we talk about Wendy. All right, let's jump right in. You're listening to episode 62, Madeline's Story, the sibling of a son with a rare genetic condition. Hi, and welcome to the Child Life On Call podcast. When your child is sick, the whole world seems to stop in its tracks. Plans and priorities change, and your number one job becomes figuring out how to get your child well again. For some of us, rest, medications, and relaxation can do the trick. But for others, it takes more. It takes countless doctor appointments, invasive medical testing, therapy, surgeries, the list goes on, and then you still may not have all the answers or results you were hoping for. This podcast features parents of children that have an illness or medical condition and gives them a place to share their own journeys and experiences. We will talk about the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, but one thing seems to remain the same. Children are resilient and teach us more about ourselves and the world than we could ever imagine. Thank you so much for lending a listening ear and opening up your heart to these families and this podcast. I'm your host, Katie Taylor. Was is rough. That kind of you know that symbolizes a lot of like the whole journey of like not being able to just take a day to cry in bed all day. Like I couldn't do that because I still had her to take care of. Hello, my friends. I am so thankful that you are here to listen to Madeline today. She is the host of the Rare Life podcast. So if you haven't, head over now, listen to her. She's got lots of stories, lots of parents, lots of professionals, and lots of good nuggets of information about having a kiddo with a super rare genetic condition and what that looks like for her family and for other families going through similar experiences. So I'm excited that she's here today for a couple reasons. One is just she's a totally easy person to talk with and she's one of those people you just feel like you know right away. Um, she's incredibly vulnerable and she doesn't sugarcoat things. So I really, really appreciate that. And then the other twist about today is her son, Kimball, um, is the one with the rare genetic condition, but we're going to be talking about his older sibling. And so I think this is a part of the podcast. We haven't talked enough about what siblings go through, what it feels like to be the big sister, what it feels like to go through these experiences, what it's like for uh, Madeline's relationship with her daughter now that Kimball is in the picture. So 
um, you're definitely going to want to listen to the whole thing and then make sure you go and listen to the Rare Life podcast because in just a few weeks, she's going to have my episode on there in which we talk about some strategies for some of the challenges um, that we've talked about with siblings. She has a ton of good questions for me. She asked me, you know, when's the best time to have a second child if your first child has a rare genetic condition? She talks about how to have the really tough conversations about really hard things with um with siblings of, of kiddos. So I'm just so grateful that you're here today and that Madeline was willing to share her story and talk about her daughter, Wendy. So I'm Madeline Cheney and my husband is Justin Cheney. We live in uh, Northern Utah with our two children, Wendy, who is five years old and she is uh, our healthy, you know, just very typical child. And then we have Kimball who is two and a half. And he has a rare genetic syndrome called chondrodysplasia punctata X-linked type one. <laughs> it's a mouthful. So that is a mouthful. CDPX1. So that, that can be a, okay. that rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. CDPX1, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. That was good. Yeah, that's totally Thank it. you. <laughs> you must deal with a lot of those, those acronyms. You're right. With all the well, they tend, they tend to, um, like you tend to listen to it, you know, a little bit and get the hang of it, like BBSOAS and a few others of, of mamas <laughs> yeah. we've had on the on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so I I am a stay at home mom with them with our two kiddos, and I also uh, have a podcast, The Rare Life, and so that takes up every extra minute of my life, and um, that's been awesome, a huge challenge, but so rewarding and just so I'm, I'm sure you relate with that, but it's just such a an awesome pa- uh, passion project um, and has brought a lot of healing to myself I didn't know I needed. So that's been really cool. I'm trying to think of like a fun fact to add in there. That would be like- <laughs> I love that. How about what you asked me? You asked me something you like, something like you love. Butter? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I would say, yeah, it's a tough question. I ask people that, but I need to be able to dish it too <laughs> um, or be able to take it. So I am a lover of my bubble baths. Oh. And of going for hikes. Love to hike outside in the trees. Remember, I can find trees. And so you get to do that a lot in Utah, I would guess. Well, I look for the trees. It takes a little more effort. I grew up in western Washington. And oh, okay. There's a plethora of trees oh. there. So I'm always in pursuit of anywhere that looks anywhere, anything like Washington, which is a little harder because it's a desert. But totally. there are beautiful places that we found, and that's been really fun. So I was on Madeline's podcast and we talked a lot about sibling support and education. And um, I think in our conversation today, we're definitely going to talk about Kimball and um, kind of how um, what Madeline's experience has been like. And we're going to touch on Wendy, too, who is the older sister who very much feels all of everything and every experience that happens within their family. So um, I'm really honored that Madeline is going to talk about Wendy too. And um, hopefully other parents out there who are listening can really relate to what those siblings go through. So mm-hmm. I guess let's back up um, a little bit to, you know, you said, Wendy, you described her as your typical kind of healthy child. Um, and so she was what, about two Two, two when Kimball was, was born. Okay, so kind of walk us through the middle of that pregnancy when you guys found out something was going on. Mm. So yeah, that's where, that's where the story begins, right? So we were, I was going in for my uh, the you know the infamous twenty week ultrasound where I thought we were just going to have it confirmed. Yep, he looks everything looks good. He's still mm-hmm. a boy because we knew he was a boy from uh, much earlier in ultrasound. They just accidentally saw that, so that was it seemed like it'd be such a boring run of the mill appointment. So I just went in with, uh, it was just me and Wendy. We went in without my husband this time and uh, <laughs> she would have been there, but um, for that very boring appointment did not end up staying boring where he, uh, the ultrasound tech, um, she was scanning and where she was taking a long time uh, just going over and over on different body parts. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of weird. Cause you know, I had Wendy, so I knew what was kind of, you know, yeah. the typical run in the mill. Oh, it looks so cute. Everything's great. And she wasn't saying that stuff. And I was trying to make small talk. Cause it was, you know, I like to, to, yeah. I don't know, it was kind of silent and I felt a little uncomfortable. So I was like, so do you love being an ultrasound tech? And she was like, well, I usually work in this high risk clinic in Salt Lake, but I'm, you know, I'm here today 
And I was like, well, that must be a hard job. Like you must have to deliver a lot of bad news. And she was like, oh, it's usually the doctor. Actually, I don't actually give the bad news, but yeah, you know, it's a cool job. And, and I was like, oh, that'd be so hard. And little did I know she was sitting there scanning me being like, oh my gosh, dang it, you, you are, you know, we, we ended up being sent after we talked to the doctor and he, um, he told us about the birth defects they saw. We ended up going to that clinic and we saw her again, that high risk clinic. Did she recognize so you? Crazy. Yeah. I, and I, I said something too. I was like, do you remember us? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> oh so that was gosh. kind of that you know, ironic foreshadowing that I didn't realize was happening at the time, but the doctor pulled us aside after just me and Wendy after the ultrasound and he was like, you know, we, we've seen some birth defects that are really concerning his long bones, which are, that's their fancy term for, you know, the arms and the legs, the limbs are short for his gestation and he, we can't find a nose bone, any kind of uh, profile on him. And he was like, we don't know anything yet, but these are very classic signs of Down syndrome. So we think your son probably has it, but we'll do some testing to confirm. And so that was those, you know, that conversation completely changed my life. Obviously he was already forming that way, but you know, that, that changed the course of our life and finding that out. And I was completely crushed and I felt like a deer in the headlights of like, what? Like, especially with, I don't know, Down syndrome. I was like, that's for older moms. I was, I think I was 23 when he was telling me this. So I was like, this is not supposed to happen to me. This is not part of my plan. This is not, this doesn't make sense. And when he was telling me about it, you know, I was just like, the news was just, oh my gosh, I was, I was going crazy, like trying to fathom what he was telling me. And I remember looking over at Wendy, she had her little snack container and she walked over to the biohazard trash can and plopped it into the trash can. And I just remember thinking like, what's happening right now? Like yeah. I feel so out of control of everything. And so I walked out of that appointment with her and, uh, buckled her up in the car and then just lost it. And was just, I was so emotional, just crying and crying. Like what is happening to my life? And I called my husband, had to tell him over the phone. And that was, he said at first he thought that I had miscarried because that's, that's been an issue for me too. Yeah. But, uh, no, you know, I think he has Down syndrome. And so that was just, I remember all the looks of pity as I walked out of that office. Cause all the, I think all the nurses knew and all the techs knew and they were just mm -hmm. looking at me like, gosh, you just found out. And oh. I was like, Oh, I hate this. I hate this. The pity. I hate that. I'm this person. Everyone feels bad for this thing that I always thought happens to other people was happening to me. And that was, that was a really a day that I, you know, think about a lot. It was a really big part of my life. Well, and having your two-year-old there, yeah, it's yeah. like, isn't it amazing? Like how you're able to see other people's emotions as you yourself are going through trauma. It's like this experience where you literally are kind of looking in on everything that's mm -hmm. happening. And so where did you, yeah. you called your husband on the phone. Where did you guys drive to? Like, I wonder, cause you're still having to parent Wendy, right? It's like, yeah. you don't get yeah, to just sulk and crying you don't get to do that. You, you can for a little bit and then you have to drive somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That was, is rough. That kind of, you know, that symbolizes a lot of like the whole journey of like not being able to just take a day to cry in bed all day. Like I couldn't do that because I still had her to take care of. And so after that appointment, I drove back to our apartment and I had scheduled a, I used to carpool with my best friend and her daughter. We would go to the store together and do a big grocery shop together. Cause it's kind of far away. And I'd already planned that to be right after the appointment that was supposed to be super boring and typical and just like, mm. you know, no news. Um, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to keep that. I think I'm going to, she would totally understand if I canceled, but I was like, I need to see her right now. So it actually ended up being a really cool, you know, chance to uh, see her and gain support from her. And so it was literally like, I think I was running late to meet her because it took a little longer. That's how immediate after the appointment it was. And so she came to the house or to our apartment and I got in the car and I was like holding back the tears as I was like buckling Wendy in and she was like, what happened? And so I like broke down crying being like, they think he has down syndrome. And, you know, we sat and cried for a little bit and then kept driving to the store and I was able just to unload on her of like, just as it, all the reality, I kept realizing things with her. Like it was really interesting because you know, there's like that initial shock and then kind of like my brain searching through like, okay, who do I know who has a child with down syndrome? What do I remember about that? Because it's a very prevalent thing, right? So mm -hmm. you have like a, um, more to base it off than these more rare genetic syndromes, like he ended up having, but 
I was realizing as we were driving and like, I was writing these letters to him as I was pregnant with him. He won't, will he even be able to read these letters? Like, can I even express these deep feelings to him? And oh my gosh, wait, he'll probably live with us the rest of our lives. We never will be empty nesters like I thought we would. Like all these things kept crashing down. Like I was realizing these things and I would just like start crying more. And so it was, it was interesting to process through that with my best friend there who I call her my best friend. We only knew each other for a year before that, but we just connected mm -hmm. really well. And I'm just so grateful that she was there with me and um, helped me, I don't know, reach out for connection in a time when I would normally just want to crawl under the covers and like just cry myself to sleep. So that was, that was a really long um, monumental day for us. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm sure that she has her own um, kind of thought about, about what that was like. And you say it was such a, a positive experience about having somebody there to listen. And I hear a lot of parents often say, you know, they'll go talk to somebody and they'll be like, well, we don't know anything yet. And, and kind of just deny, not deny those feelings, but it's really easy to, to push it away when sometimes you just need somebody to say all the really hard stuff with out loud. Like have yeah. somebody there to be like, we may never be empty nesters. Like just yeah. get it out. Because um, yeah. we know when it stays inside, that hurts so much. And then you privately have to sulk. And that's really difficult. Yeah. And she was she was really good at reflecting my feelings. So like she was looking at me with these big eyes full of tears watching me talk about this. And I could tell that she was hurting too, like right with me. And that was so, you know, a lot of people worry about what to say, like what's the right thing to say. But I think just being there in that moment with that person in their pain and not shying away with it from it by saying things that are minimizing, like, oh, you'll be okay. Or you need to be strong. You know, those kind of dismissive things that people usually mm -hmm. tend to say. She didn't do that. She was there in the pain with me. And I really appreciated that. Oh, that's amazing that she's that she's able to do that. And, you know, the people who do say, you know, you'll be OK and we don't know anything yet. You know, they're doing their own way of protecting you and supporting you like the best way they know how. But I love what you say about just being there and listening um, mm -hmm. is huge. Yeah, totally. Well, can you, I guess, take us from there? And I'm guessing that, um, you know, based off your story, you didn't have a lot of answers until after the birth. And mm -hmm. did you deliver early or what did that look like? So they actually, we were really fortunate because so it, that, that first, for a week, we thought he had Down syndrome and I reached out to a lot of people and stuff and joined Facebook groups and was trying to get a hold of like what my life would look like. And then we got the call back a week later and found out that it, it came back negative. All the genetic testing came back negative for any of the major genetic issues or chromosomal abnormalities. And so he was like, it's something really rare. And so that was something, you know, after that first week, we knew it would be rare. So that, that was, it was such a roller coaster, like hmm. going through this diagnosis, but we actually had his, his correct diagnosis. It was unofficial because they weren't able to do testing on him yet. It was later confirmed after he was born that he had his the exact syndrome and so um, that was really awesome because I know a lot of parents do have to, you know, sometimes it's years before they get a correct diagnosis for their child. But we were able to, um, the doctor we had was really good. She was, um, she was a specialist with uh, skeletal dysplasias in particular. And so that was really cool because it's a type of skeletal dysplasia. And so she was able to recognize the different uh, symptoms in his, in his uh, ultrasounds that told us that. And so, um, yeah, but I did not, I delivered, I was induced and I was able to make it all the way to my due date or mm -hmm. all the way to my induction date, even though I had, I can't remember the technical name for it, but I had tons of extra amniotic fluid. I had tons. Mm -hmm. I was huge mm -hmm. because they aren't able to swallow that fluid like babies normally do. And so it just builds up. And so they told me he'll probably be born early because your body will think that you are 40 weeks gestation when you're not because of the size of your belly. Yeah. And so, um, I was very relieved that we were able to make it all the way to the induction day at 38 weeks, because I don't think he would have made it if he'd been much earlier than that. Cause he had a lot of struggles, you know, just surviving even full term. So and did they set you up for a NICU experience after that? And, or was it unknown? Yeah. They said he'll be in the NICU. You'll, you'll need, uh, 
ox or he'll need to be intubated to breathe because he had, you know, that, that lack of airway in his nose. And so he was, we knew he would be in the NICU and he was, he was in there for three weeks for 22 days, which is much shorter than so many parents, but mm-hmm. they were, it was a long 22 days, especially having another child to worry oh, yeah. about and to parent. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Let's go back to Wendy a little bit. How did you guys talk to her ahead of time about um, brother being different or, you know, for her, this was her first experience. And so being a sibling. And so I, I tell parents a lot, you know, they, they don't actually know any different, like, you know, different because you've had this whole life experience and you see sibling relationships, but you know, your child doesn't. So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you frame them? How do you prepare them for that? I don't, you know, I'm thinking back. I don't remember having a ton of conversations with her. I think I remember that I, I thought it was so exceptional that she seemed to understand that there was a baby inside me. And that was kind of like (laughs) this thing. I was like, wow, she understands that concept. Totally. I don't know that we really tried to prepare her for what was going to happen. I think we told her we'd be in the hospital for a long time yeah, and that he would stay there and then come home. But I don't think we talked too much about, you know, his body is formed differently than yours. And I don't remember it at least. Mm-hmm. Well, she was two at the time, yeah. you know, so baby's going to be born from, from mom is a big enough concept. So it sounds yeah. like you were right on. <laughs> and then, you <laughs> yeah. know, preparing for mom being away um, in the hospital, having the baby is a change for Wendy too. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mom came down and took care of her so we could be at the hospital for, you know, 12 hours at a time or 10 hours at a time. And yeah, it was hard to, you know, it kind of was the beginning of a life of trying to choose whose needs to meet because it kind of feels like it's always a constant juggle of like, oh, you know, she needs this and he needs this. Whose should I meet right now? And I need something, you know, so trying to decide the more important place to be, you know, that that was really hard because I was so used to just giving her 100 percent of myself to Mm -hmm. suddenly have it spliced by this very needy, very sick child was really, really hard. Yeah. Did she, uh, did you guys take her into the NICU to visit or what was that experience like? Mm-hmm. We, so that was actually my first time of even knowing what a child life specialist was. I'd never even heard of you guys that there was even this profession, but they said the child life specialist will take her aside and play with a doll. And they had these fabric dolls that had been donated and they decorated the doll with, you know, I think they were like band-aids, but they also tried to do like things that she would see on her brothers. So like tubing for oxygen and stuff and a feeding tube. And, uh, so they, they played together for, I think an hour before bringing her in to kind of prep her for that. And I really appreciate that. And I kind of, I expected this big grand introduction, but it'd been like, I think he was two weeks old at that point because she had a cold. And so they wouldn't allow her to come in yet. And so she finally could come in and meet him. And I'd seen so many of these like Facebook posts with like, you know, sibling meet meet and greet and like, oh my gosh, look how precious this is. And give them kisses. And they're just so excited. But when, when Wendy came in there, she was very like, who is this? What's going on? Very skeptical, kind of staying back. And so that was, it was not this, this, you know, grand meeting that I had envisioned and, uh, you know, I think that isn't necessarily like indicative of how their relationship would be, but it kind of, it set this tone of like, oh, this is not how I expected. Mm. And this is not how I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. And we talk about it on the episode that it's going to be on your podcast, but you know mm-hmm. how that is very actually normal and right. The abnormal is this mm-hmm. beautiful, spectacular moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, even for a baby that's just doesn't have any medical issues, you know, it's, we tend to see like the fantasy and the fairy tale of all of these, uh, life experiences when truly it, it's not typically actually like that. Yeah. Um, and the the other thing I, I want to say and just take a note of is when you said that you, your life is constantly, you know, choosing one sibling over the, over the other, um, you know, I think you could find connection probably even with your best friend. I don't know if she has kids yet, but it is like the balance of, of parenthood, right? It's like, whose needs do I go to? It's like, like you said, my needs, my husband's needs, my my parents need me. They're in the hospital, you know, whatever the yeah. situation is, it's like, gosh, that balance is, is so hard. And, 
especially mm-hmm. for you when you actually don't get to make the choice, right? Like you have to tend to Kimball's needs, you know? Yeah. So even on a day yeah. where you would like to prioritize Wendy, you you don't really get that. You don't really mm-hmm. get that advantage. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of the decisions are made yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about um, bringing him home and kind of the adjustment for, for Wendy and what that looked like um, and how she's kind of grown up alongside him as he's grown too. So it's so like I could talk for hours about their relationship and my relationship with Wendy, how it was impacted by, by Kimball's arrival. And it was just forever changed. It was forever changed uh, probably when he was born, but especially bringing him home and, in my attempts to actively parent both of them. Um, because like I said before, I could give her a hundred percent of my, of my tension, my love, and we were just the best little buds. But when Kimball came home, everything changed. She, she, there was so much, uh, aggression. There was so much aggression. And I, I'm, I've been, I want to be careful of like not talking about too much of the details of what she was doing to protect her privacy. Cause I wouldn't want anyone tell, you know, telling the public about things mm-hmm. I've done. Although I'll tell you what I've done. That was incorrect. <laughs> but yeah. I'll let her do that. But like so much aggression and so much acting out. And she was a completely different person than I knew before. And I was grieving so many things right then. I was grieving mm-hmm. this life I thought we would have. I was grieving that my son was suffering and being poked and couldn't breathe and had this huge cervical collar and just all of it. I was grieving how terrible his life was. At that. I mean, like it's improved since then. He has a great quality of life now, but like his life was kind of terrible. Yeah. And I was grieving that. And I was grieving this relationship that I had with Wendy. And it, I still grieve that in a way because it has never been the same. And it's gotten a lot better since then. We've improved. But it it was forever, you know, tainted by this this child that I love. But like this this huge diagnosis and this huge life change that came into our lives. And um, she would, like, for example... Um, I mean, I was, I was struggling so much emotionally. I was barely holding it together, trying to go to all these appointments and keep him alive and keep him safe. And, and she would act out and start, you know, being aggressive towards us and uh, physically. And I felt this huge, I was so torn. I was the mama bear protecting my medically fragile child that I was trying to keep alive just because, you know, keep him I protect him from his own body and keep him alive and give him a good life so I was the mama bear against this other child that I loved so much and to feel that that defensiveness of him and really like you know if someone came up and started attacking your child you'd want to you'd want to attack them back yeah I was feeling this really terrible torn feeling this anger this resentment towards her and I hated that like I still feel that sometimes like that that um two parts of my heart just pitted against each other. Mm. And, uh, I think one way to describe it, like watching her, she was struggling so much and I was struggling so much and it felt like I was just completely drowning. I was totally drowning in my grief and my sorrow and my pain and trying to keep up with all of it, all the therapies, everything. I was just trying to survive. And it was like looking over and seeing her next to me also drowning and saying like, mommy, help me. And I couldn't help her. And that was really hard. I felt like I literally couldn't take anything else. I could barely handle what my son was needing. And to see another person need so much of me, I was so resentful to her. I was like, I I can't do what I'm asked to do even without you. And I can't handle rescuing you right now. But I see that you're in pain and I see that you need me and I can't be there. And obviously it's still like this very raw thing for me. I still struggle with that even now, even though it's gotten so much better, but it's still a daily struggle of when I see that she becomes aggressive or lashes out. And I feel that, that, you know, anger towards her and towards just all of it. It's just so hard because I love them both so much. Mm. Yeah. It's any parent that is listening right now is nodding their head in agreement. Um, and 
thank you so much for so accurately and vulnerably describing that your heart is in pieces, not only from one child to the next, but like dealing with two emotions or three emotions at one time on top of having like the baseline keeping Kimball alive, getting to an appointment on time, having to function with the care team, right? To listen about what's, it, it, it's, it's an impossible, it's an impossible situation. Yeah. And the fact that any parent, <laughs> you, the fact that you get through this is just um, inspiring. And I know that's not, I know that's not your choice. Right. I know it's not your choice to be the inspiring one, but um, <laughs> you are. And so if you could go back to one of those appointments when you kind of remember just really drowning and being at the beginning with Wendy going through this, you going through this and Kimball going through this. Is there something that you would tell that that mom or tell yourself? Mm, um, I don't. That's really hard. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it was just kind of this constant battle of like what really is best for Wendy in those times when during the constant appointments, is it better for her to be dragged along to them? Is it better mm. for her to have a babysitter? Cause we had people offering to take care of her. Does she, she seems to feel resentful when we go pick her up because like she's been abandoned or something and we had to go to the hospital that was far away. And I don't know that I would, I think if I were able to give myself a preview into like our life now, that it's very imperfect. She still struggles a lot, but that there were also positive moments, lots of positive moments in there with the, with the heart that would be really encouraging. Cause it felt like this, people kept telling me it's just a phase. She'll get through it. But you know, weeks turned into months turned into years and she's still struggling with it. And I don't think that phase has passed. Mm. And so mm. hearing that it was just a phase for so many others, was I I took a lot of responsibility with her struggling thinking then something must be wrong with me something must be wrong with how I'm parenting her and that's still still this insecurity of like what am I doing wrong mm -hmm. what are these other parents doing that make that you know they're they're these little buddies together like how do I facilitate that I I tried so many different things thinking this is it this is going to help them and it and it wouldn't it would work for maybe a day and then it mm -hmm. would pass and it would go back to that resentment and that really stormy relationship between them so I wish I could show myself like this is what it's going to be it'll be fine mm -hmm. in fact you'll have a lot of joy in seeing their relationship together I think being able to know about that would have been huge but obviously that's hard. That's hard because you, it's not guaranteed. And when people would tell me it'll be better, I was like, you just don't understand. You, right. you have no idea what this is like. And so that even felt isolating. So I'm not even sure. Like, I was like, like come to myself with like, Hey, yeah. here they are. Look at them. Yeah, <laughs> that would be exactly. amazing. Yeah. But, well, you know, you're giving that glimpse to another parent and in, in the drowning shoes right now, um, which is, which yeah. is really helpful. Um, but I, like, I love what you're saying about the phase thing because, you know, phases do pass, but they're, they're it's called a phase for a reason. You don't know how long it's going to last. It could be a yeah. day. It could be five years. Like you just don't know. That's true. And, and so it's not exactly helpful, um, when you hear that, especially because then you start comparing to like, you know, well, how long was that phase for your child? And then yours goes a week mm -hmm. longer and it just is like, well, what's, what's different with me? Yeah. So as you've kind of seen, you know, I was also thinking about the challenge there with a sibling and a younger sibling with medical issues or without medical issues. It's it's like they don't even get a relationship with that baby yet because the baby doesn't give much to anybody, yeah. right? So it's like you have you do in some ways have to wait for the baby to grow for those two to start that bonding yes. experience it doesn't happen instantaneous which is kind of what we're all taught right like mm -hmm. oh they'll be siblings for life you get the you know you talk about when you're pregnant by saying Wendy's going to be a big yeah, sister it's like that is the relationship but it takes a long time yeah and it took Kimball longer than you know just the average baby because he was deaf and blind and so he just wasn't getting hardly any stimulation from the world. Like we'd put his hearing aids on once in a while, but we, that was all we could handle right then. And he was, you yeah. know, life had no meaning to him and he slept all the time because he had hypotonia and 
So physically he couldn't do a lot too. And so I think it just elongated that baby phase eternally. Man, I, yeah. and I, I tell people, I hate the newborn phase, but he was in that <laughs> newborn phase for so long because of his like different oh. things. I know some moms love that baby phase, but I'm just like, Oh, I just couldn't wait for him to start interacting more. And so when he did start interacting more, it definitely helped. Um, we're, we're previous to that, I think for the first year, there was zero positive interactions mm-hmm. between them. Like they had no relationship. And that that's one way where like people are like, oh, well, you know, all siblings fight. And I'm like, yeah, but they have nothing. They have nothing. It's all, it's all this negative. Yeah. And so um, after that year, I think year and a half when he started verbalizing a bit and could crawl around and stuff, there were these fleeting moments of this glimpse into this friendship that I had envisioned coming so much sooner, but like just little mm-hmm. things like, like, Oh, Kimball, good job. Yeah. You did that. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like she just said something positive to him. Like that right there was like, it took a year and a half for her to say, or to, you know, to have those positive interactions. And so they meant so much to me then. And now, you know, they have, they, it's like very, very steadily and very slowly, you know, become yeah. a different ratio of how often they're, they're positively interacting. Mm-hmm. And now every interaction they have that's positive. I'm just beaming. I'm just dying with joy oh. because I see this relationship. I just was yearning for for so long and I'm seeing a glimpse into that. And it's, oh my gosh, it's the best just when they play together and I see that love between them is just the best. Well, it's like, you know, it's real, yeah. you know, it's not forced. It's not fake. It's like, it took a while for her to get there. And so when you have that, it's like, oh my God, it just is, it's a game changer. Um, talk to me now about how, what they, what their relation lo- looks like. You say they play together. What does that look like for Wendy? Like what would be, if she could pick her favorite thing to do with her brother or her favorite activity or, or what, what, what would it be with him? So they have bro time. That's what she calls it. They have their bro time. <laughs> this is the cutest thing. She's so funny. She's like, I'm I'm this way too. I feel like I gave her a lot of this stuff, but she's very extreme. Like where she'll is either all in or all out. And so when she decides to yeah. play with him a few times a week, usually now, which is so awesome, she will say, mom, can you go upstairs? We're going to have some bro time. She doesn't want me there. She doesn't want me on the same level. If I come downstairs when they're having their bro time, she'll be like, mommy, go upstairs. We're having our bro time. And I have to like run back upstairs. Like, sorry. (laughs) Like I was grabbing a snack or whatever, but like they will just get into the biggest messes. She has this huge imagination and she wants to orchestrate it. And she wants him to be the, the player in her games. And he's so funny. He's so different than her. He's so compliant to her. So he'll yeah, do a lot of yeah. it. Sometimes he'll put his foot down and that's usually when bro time ends because he starts screaming and then she's yeah. mad. And <laughs> But she's orchestrating these huge <laughs> imaginative games where they're getting in cardboard boxes to go to faraway places and then they need to climb the mountains to go to Neverland and just like these huge, these huge games where there's, oh my gosh. it's a mess. It is trash when I come downstairs. Oh yeah. But yeah. it is so worth it. Like it, it makes me any, like I'll hear Kimball sometimes protesting and I'm like, you know, she probably is being too pushy. I'm not interfering. Like this is a relationship that they're mm-hmm. having right now. And I will do anything to, even if it has a little bit of that negative part in it where he feels a little like domineered. I'm like, kid, yeah. this is awesome. Like she's playing with you. She loves you right now. And so they have those bro times and they last for an hour, two hours at a time. Like they're, wow. like I say, she's extreme. Like when she wants to play with him, she is playing with him. And yeah. You know, they're, the rest of the day, sometimes she'll have her bro time in the morning and the rest of the day she keeps saying, I hate Kimball. I don't like Kimball. And like just mm-hmm. being like acting mm-hmm. out towards him. But there, I'm like, mm-hmm. but there, you do love him. There is, there are those, those times where you show that more than others and their bro time is so precious and I love it. I love it so much. Oh, that's adorable. I love the title bro time. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's like, it's about her, right? It's like her bro. Yep. Like that's what it is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, you know, a lot of times I ask uh, parents what their child has taught them, and we typically talk about um, the child who is sick with medical needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to know, like, what you have learned from Wendy, mm-hmm. and what are some of the gifts that she brings to the table into your life? 
Oh man, that's a great question. I think Wendy has taught me, and I knew this, you know, I knew it in my head, but I think she really has taught me that no one is black or white. No one is a hundred percent malicious. No one is a hundred percent a saint. She, she's just this, she's just, she's Wendy. Like she has no, like she has no filter. She has no, she's just a hundred percent herself. And I think, you know, when she was acting out and doing these things that were really hurtful to my heart and hurtful to me and to Kimball and as our family, and I was really resentful towards her. I was also taught that like, that doesn't make her bad. That doesn't make her all Mm. evil. That doesn't make her this, you know, the bad sibling or this, oh man, she's going to be a serial killer. Cause like, honestly, we had it sometimes for like, is she okay? Like, you know, she could turn to be like kindness is so important, but like as time has gone on and she's become more and more herself again, more like that pre Kimball version of herself. Uh, I'm, you know, like the bro days, like she has these times of being super awesome sister, loving to play with him. And then she has times where she's really not very nice to him. And, 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 you know, I think that's just very true of humanity. And it's been really cool to like see that in action because I tend to try to put people in these labels and these boxes and it's very organized and like, this is a good person. Oh, that's a criminal. They're a bad person, but seeing, no, she has so much goodness in her and this little, this little person in there that I love so much. And along in there is also this, this person who is also struggling right along with me and making decisions that are not great. And she's so multifaceted that like people are not, they're not good and they're not bad. They're just people that have these Mm. different parts of us and we really can choose what we act on. And I think that's what we've seen is that she has started to act more on, you know, the, the sweet, kind, loving, ambitious side of her that is in there right along with all the other parts of her. And, um, I think choosing that and seeing that in her has been a great example to me to try to choose, choose the, you know, the quote unquote good part of me, but also to like give myself Mm -hmm. the permission to be vulnerable and to be imperfect and to have bad days. Like it's okay. It doesn't make Mm. me bad. Oh, totally. I, yeah, I love like, she's literally teaching you this huge philosophical idea that people (laughs) spend their entire lifetime, right? To try to figure out. And, and she has demonstrated that to you in just a few short years. So that's just incredible. And, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard being a parent and kids are, kids are hard to relate to in some ways because they're, they're not miniature us, you know, they're not miniature adults. They do process in different ways and they do fly off the handle. And, um, it's, it's just hard to watch. It's hard to not paint that, you know, if you were to see an adult do that, it's like, whoa. And it's hard to not see kids in that way. Um, so it, sometimes helps to expect kids to misbehave, right? Expect kids to show jealousy and show these emotions that aren't so normal for us to act on. Um, But the more we expect them, the more it's almost like you're able to maybe like see it for what it is. Um, Like if I expect my kid to run through the kitchen and trip over the dishwasher and hurt her shin, which just happened in my house about 30 minutes ago. Like, you know what I mean? Like I should have expected that to happen because the dishwasher was down and she was running with a bucket on her head. So like, (laughs) you know, that's on me for saying, don't yell, don't run in the kitchen. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really difficult. Um, kids are hard. Yeah. Kids are really hard. Yeah, I love how you talk about expectations because I feel like that's what my downfall was. Is I expected, expected yeah. this great relationship. I expected her to be like so loving, and and I think you're right. Like expecting, like no, it'll be hard. She's gonna have a rough day today because we have an appointment. Like that can do right. wonders. Totally, totally. And then you know, if you get to be pleasantly surprised, it's like woohoo! Yeah, yeah I'll throw in there too. One cool thing that I've learned is preparing her for that. Like on the, on my good days and I fell on top of the game and we have an appointment, I can say, Wendy, it's appointment day. You usually really struggle on appointment days for the whole rest of the day. I don't know why, but yeah. like, yeah, like, you, you know, you, this probably will be kind of hard for you. And a lot of times I think giving her that prep, she actually does surprise me and acts better than I expect. So mm-hmm. there's this, like, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. It's totally interesting. And it's, it's like the experiment, right? It's like, do I, 
do I, don't I, and, and finding what works best for Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned one thing about her, and you said that she was ambitious. And I'm wondering if you can think of a Wendy ambitious story for us. Oh, man. Well, oh, she has these. Okay, so this is, and this is relating to Kimball, so this will be a good one to tie in. But she, you know, she's gone through a lot of different, like, occupations she wants to have when she's older, like any other kid. And uh, recently, I think, like, maybe three months ago, she decided on an occupation she wants, and she's kept to it to this day, which is really cute a record and she wants to have a <laughs> she, I don't know what to even call but she calls like it's her like a facility for buddy boys and let me tell you more about what that is oh. she wants to okay. have this basically I think it'd be like a similar to a boarding school for buddy boys like Kimball you know her in her words okay. that have issues with their bodies the same kind as Kimball that's <laughs> what so she says so she said she just dreams up. She talked, it was, I timed it. It was an hour and a half. She talked to me about all the details of what this would be like and all the different details of it and how she would wear a headset where they could talk into a speaker and order their food that they wanted. And she would only be able to give them things like crackers that she knows how to do is what she said. But then yeah. they could make their orders and then she would make their snacks for them and give them the snacks. And then when they barfed in their bed, like Kimball does a lot, then she would be listening. And when she would hear that, she would come in through the tent opening on the ceiling. She'd fly through, okay. like lower down, grab their blankie and have a secret duplicate. She used that word duplicate blankie that looks just <laughs> like their other one. So she could trade it out and they would think that she had just washed it. And then she would really wash the other one so he, they could have a dry blankie, like things like that. And she would have a, a measurement device. So they would have to stand on the scale to make sure that they really do have his same condition because they need to have dwarfism. And if they're too big, they can't come in. They need to have, they need to have his <laughs> issues, she said, because I know how to take care of buddy boys with this, is what she said. And so, oh. you know, moments like that, I'm just like, oh, where was this? Like, I, I wish I would have known this was, she was, this was going to come out of her mouth, you know, two years ago, but it's just the sweetest, like oh her version gosh. of showing this fierce love for him and this protectiveness. And she told me, I won't have to go to college because I know how to take care of him already. And so, Aww. you know, that was just the cutest thing. And she plans to work there with Kimball. She'll said, as soon as I'm a teenager, I will work, I will start this. And then once he's a teenager, he can come help me. So they're going to work together so oh she can have gosh. quote unquote money in her purse. So like that little, okay. like I, it just kills me. She's so cute. <laughs> and I'm, that is so stinking cute. <laughs> and like, she can do that. Like, I don't have any doubts. She would just go out and, yeah, she would tackle that. She is so ambitious, and she does. She does what she says she's going to do, and obviously maybe this won't actually happen, but it is so cute. I mean, I okay, I'm going to be the first <laughs> investor, so you just let us know, and we're going we're gonna to do the buddy boy thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. that's It just, like, shows you, like, the internal workings of, of all that she takes in, right? Like, like – even if she would have thought of the one part about changing the blanket out, you know, like if you throw up on it, but the fact that she also made it a duplicate, it also comes in from the top so that they don't know. It's like, this is layered in kindness. Like it's so crazy. Oh, and thoughtfulness. That's her way of showing kindness are these like ambitious, like schemes, like one more Mm. story really fast. She was sitting on the couch one day and she said she wanted to make a, like a barrier, but like around him so he could have, I told her, I think it's a little much. I think he needs a break from playing with you. And so she said, okay, we'll put him on the couch and then we'll make a curtain around him so that he can have some alone time. I was like, oh. okay, how are you going to make a curtain around the couch? I was like, okay. I was trying to be like supportive. It's like, so how do yeah. you do that? And so she like brought out like this, like long, it's like a blow dart Nerf gun thing. She brought that out of the cupboard and then she was like, okay, now we need a curtain. And she like put together the contraption and it was a curtain around the couch. Like she figured it out. And so oh her, that is her love language is she comes up with these, these schemes and she oh. does it, she executes. And it's amazing to watch that little brain work. And that is her, that's her, the way she shows kindness. And I think it's just I, so cute. That's so awesome. Oh, well, you got to play to that then. Yeah. And like the next time, you know, give her these little jobs that aren't so easy that, you know, anybody could do it, but like only only Wendy yeah. knows how to do it in this exact way. Yeah. That's so cool. To me, I was like, I don't know how to do that. You, you yeah, do that. totally. And she did. She did it. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Oh my gosh, awesome. Well, um, 
Is there anything else that you'd like to share about your family or sweet Wendy or Kimball or um, just tell our listeners, you know, you've got your podcast, which is just a wealth of information and stories, and you've got other professionals on there. Um, Where can we find that? How can we listen to you? Tell us all the things to connect with you. Yeah. So um, I, I have a podcast, The Rare Life, and it is kind of based on this like you know, it's not for the faint of heart. We don't dodge around the deep, the nitty gritty, really deep, dark, hard stuff, which was also what I love though, is getting into that and getting into mm-hmm. what all the parents are thinking and feeling, but are too scared or too shamed to say. So that is my mm-hmm. podcast, The Rare Life. And um, I have a website, therearelifepodcast.com. So that's an easy way to find, you know, the episodes and stuff if you're not a podcaster, but it's also a podcast listener, but it's also on all the different podcasting apps. And on Instagram, I'm very active uh, and talking about, you know, the, the deep, dark stuff, you know, that a lot of people don't talk, maybe oversharing, I don't know. But on, on Instagram, I talk a lot about our experiences and about the podcast. So that's, uh, I'm at the underscore rare underscore life on there. So that's another, another fun one to, to join in on. And yeah, I would love to, to be friends. Yeah. Yes, we'll definitely go over and follow her. Um, And then Madeline, thank you so much for so courageously tackling so many of the things that are hard. And I love how you put it, like saying the things that parents are feel too shame to say. I mean, that's 100 percent what we have to do um, to support each other because there's no need for us to keep this shame inside anymore. Um, Like, I think it's very important to talk about. uh, So thank you so much for doing what you do. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Madeline, for being a part of this podcast and opening up your heart and your time. Uh, what is what is time? I know you don't have a lot of it. And the fact that you're able to produce this incredibly structured, amazing podcast on your own is so cool. So we just really appreciate you being here and make sure you go follow Madeline online. All right, guys, have a great rest of your week and I will see you again next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Child Life on Call podcast. I'm your host, Katie Taylor, and you can follow us at Child Life on Call on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate and review to make it easier for other families to find us. We have cute merch available at www.bonfire.com slash store slash Child Life on Call. And you can listen to more episodes and find resources at childlifepodcast.com. Well, guys, like I said, go check out Katie's podcast, Child Life on Call, for more episodes like this one. You will get to hear from Katie again in the future in episode 47 as she shares her expertise as a child life specialist. And we talk more about siblings on a more general level. So yay for more of Katie Taylor. Join me next week for the story of Ford, a four-year-old with an ultra-rare syndrome and an amazing mom, Effie Parks. Don't miss it. See you then.